Welcome to the community-driven Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, Rachel Maddow, and Ring of Fire. You know, I've been watching Big Love on HBO about the polygamous family with a, a 17 different moms, etc. And a guy, you know, I never knew how they did polygamy because I was like, and the numbers don't add up, right? Because you got a one guy and you got like the three wives or the four wives or whatever it is. What happened to the other guys? It turns out they kicked some of the young boys out. They do about get sick to get out of here, right? And they kick them to the curb. I didn't know that. I what do you mean, kick them to the curb? No, 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 you're done. Your work is done here. Like, you're a 14-year-old boy, and they're like, oh, that one, we're not going to get multiple wives. <laughs> yeah. Me, so go go live somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a polygamist. Right. They just throw his ass out. It's nice. Yeah, it's, it's one of the terrible things that happens. And some of those, you know. Actually, it's one of the great things. It's nothing could be better for that kid. Yeah, actually, well, probably winds up helping him, except that he, like, you know, winds up as a gay prostitute or something, but... Still better. <laughs> well, one could argue. Yeah. Uh, of course, a liberal would say that. Uh, but anyway, some of these, uh, it turns out there are real people, like, in this in the big love story, where they're not in the old school, like, compounds or anything like that. They're out in the real world. And so a whole bunch of them got together in Utah, and they did a protest over the weekend. And these, like, really cute Utah girls um, holding up signs saying, I love all my moms. And they wouldn't give their last name, but they did a thing saying, hey, look, we live in the real world. We're not covered up. We're not doing crazy stuff. We just happen to have, like, three moms or four moms or whatever it is. And we're polygamists, and we should have our rights, too. And I thought, yeah, you know, if Mexico doesn't invade them, they make a good point, you know. And the funny thing is, actually, a lot of those people, the polygamists, ran away to Mexico when Utah right. sold out. Uh, their polygamous uh, principles and join the United States of America. And by the way, I love all the old religions. And I love how they like, these are texts. It is literal word of God. Oh, we're going to make a deal? Sure, yeah, I'll make a deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no Did problem. I say polygamy? <laughs> I didn't mean polygamy. Sure, yeah, let's join the United States. And in fact, anybody who does polygamy, we're going to arrest. Yeah, I mean, for, for the Mormons to get around the polygamy thing, they were like, oh, no, no, we've had an, another conversation with God. Yeah, uh, it's always another conversation. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's a great story about uh, Islam. Uh, Muhammad uh, goes over to Medina, and he raises an army over there, gets real popular, and he was originally from Mecca. He comes back to Mecca and says, all right, I'm going to kick your ass, right? I own you now, right? So, And the people in Mecca, at that point, it's a tourist uh, attraction uh, in Saudi Arabia back in the 600s. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great spas is what I hear. Yeah. So anyway, but the reason it was a tourist attraction was because they had this, the Kaaba, where they had this, in the central area, and this little thing, uh, they had a whole bunch of stones, and they were all after, they were different gods. This was like, you know, the god of thunder and the god of horses. I'm making stuff up. But it was all these different gods. Really? <laughs> but that part I'm making up, the rest of it is true. Right. Uh, I don't know what particular gods were there. And people would come every year to Mecca to say, oh, okay, there's my god. Oh, Allahu Akbar, whatever it is, right, that they did. So, and, and Muhammad had said, no, that's all wrong. That's terrible. And then he's about to conquer Mecca, and the, the elders of Mecca get together. They say, look, let's work something out, okay? Uh, we'll do an 18-mile buffer zone. <laughs> okay, you return some of our soldiers. No, and the deal that they strike is, this is, okay, from now on, yes, we'll all turn Muslim, and we'll all 
pray to one God, like you're talking about, Muhammad. But the deal is, you tell everybody that you just talked to God, and they all have to come to Mecca for the rest of the time, and we'll clear out the other stones, and you pick one of the stones you like. And he did. And the stone was called Lah. And you know how there's an Al in front of everything, like, you know, Al-Qaeda, etc., in, in, in Arabic, and Al-Zawahiri, etc. So that one was called Allah. So he's like, okay, we'll go with Allah, and that'll be our God. And they struck a deal, and from then on, all... And it was, so it was all done by the the, 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 the the Meccan government to sort of make sure that Mecca became a tourist destination. Absolutely. So it all turns out that it's all about tourism, okay? So, and then the deal was, from then on, everybody has to pray towards Mecca, and once in their life, and this is one of the five principal tenets of Islam, they have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca so that the businessmen of Mecca can get rich. Like, they were the original Halliburton of Mecca. Right. And they struck a deal there. And that's how all these religions work. And, of course, what did Muhammad say after he struck the deal with the businessmen? He said, uh, what's that? What's that? Oh, God tells me. Then he told me a new thing. We all got to go to Mecca. <laughs> Convenient. So, and for the polygamists, of course, God told them in order to join the United States, hey, maybe that polygamy thing's not such a good idea. But there's still people left over, and you know what? I, there's an interesting case. You can't legally be married to three to four different people. It's going to mess, right? Right. But, but, but if you want to be married to one legally, and you got the other three or four wives, it's actually no skin off my ass. Yeah, I don't think I care either. Obviously, there have to be uh, vigilant protection that we're not uh, sort of sucking these 15-year-old girls into marriage yeah and they say look we're not getting and that's what these people came out to protest they said look we're not being coerced we're in the modern world nobody's marrying 15 year old girls and making them get married to like 48 year old yeah, guys I don't we, believe that to no be true. In the compounds and stuff like that i don't believe that to be true either and that's why we got to break that stuff up you but mean, if we, we the, believe that that is true on the compounds. in the compounds yeah. i think that is what they're making them do but if they're in the real world and they're not part of this in the, or in those remote uh, you know, cities and like bountiful and in, 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 exactly in a lot of crazy power. things happen in bountiful utah lately maybe we should give them to the mexicans anyway uh but if you're in the real world and you know it's all it's not coerced i'm listening and we're having a conversation yeah you're, you're if you're consenting adults ah, who cares? you want to live together god bless go forward even your mormon god bless and go for it making headlines around the country and around the world this morning. But now it's time for part two of my interview uh, with Pat Buchanan. If you heard yesterday's part one of the interview, uh, you'll know that I tried to undo a little bit of the magic, credulous fairy dust uh, that has been spread on Pat Buchanan's latest book by the right wing and even the mainstream media. Uh, in review after review and the way it's being pitched and described, people keep citing how statistical this book is, how many footnotes it has, how many numbers are in it. 
and how lots of numbers somehow makes it harder to disagree with, which is, it's just, it's, it's um, bullpucky is what it is. It's one thing to have lots of numbers on hand. It makes you sound like you have a lot of facts. It's another thing for people to actually pay attention to whether your numbers make sense. Yesterday, in the part one of the interview, uh, I played Pat two clips of himself speaking Monday uh, on a radio interview this week, uh, when within a span of three minutes, he proclaimed that there were 1.3 million illegal immigrants coming into the country every year. And then three minutes later, he said there are half a million illegal immigrants coming into the country every year, which all sounds very impressive, but is it 1.3 million or is it half a million? Over the span of two pages in his book, he says the number of illegal immigrants coming into the United States every year is 750,000, then 3 million, then almost 2 million. Then he says it's 1.6 million, but just from Arizona. Then on Monday, he said, or on Tuesday in the interview, he said it was 1.3 million, maybe half a million. Then in the interview with me, he tries to change 1.3 million to 800,000. All of these numbers are not for all of these different things. This is supposedly one figure, and it's the main figure, the main argument of his book. He's trying to argue that lots of illegal immigrants are coming to the U.S. every year. The real number, what it actually is, is less important, I think, than the very obvious conclusion that Pat is making some stuff up here about the central premise of his book. Even before you get to the argument about why immigrants are so bad from his perspective, the central argument that there's tons of them, he doesn't actually know. And you shouldn't give him credit in the media for having so many numbers in his book when none of those numbers make sense. How about somebody actually checks to see if those numbers are real or even internally consistent? When we were fighting about this yesterday, this was the scene from the Manchurian candidate, from the original Manchurian candidate that I told him uh, he was reminding me about. This is Senator John Islin, who's the Joe McCarthy character in that Manchurian candidate, uh, making up the number of communists who he has documented in the federal government. I am United States Senator John Eggers Islin, and I have here a list of the names of 207 persons who are known by the Secretary of Defense as being members of the Communist Party. Who are still, nevertheless, if you have So, okay, so that's the scene from the Manchurian Candidate. My favorite part of that part of the interview was when I told Pat that he reminded me of that scene, and he immediately started quoting it because he knew what I was talking about. That was a little creepy. Uh, so the problem, my problem number one with the reception of old Pat's book is, is about people not questioning his numbers. Uh, problem number two, only the left wing seems to be noticing, uh, only liberals seem to be noticing, that, um, that, that this book, this anti-immigrant book, is part of Pat's long-term project of trying to rile up the majority of Americans to feel threatened by minorities in their midst, right? In this case, it's white people, be afraid of immigrants. They're going to take away white power, and white people aren't going to be in power in the United States anymore, and we need to wake up to the threat of minorities, right? We need to wake up to the threat of the Hispanics. Pat is the culture war guy. Right? Pat is the guy who has spent a career trying to get straight white Christian people to attack and purge people who aren't white, straight, or Christian from American society because they, th- they pose a threat. Here's a clip from Pat Buchanan's famous culture war speech at the Republican convention in 1992. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war as critical to the kind of nation we shall be as the Cold War itself. But this war is for the soul of America. 
I was 19 years old when I heard Pat Buchanan give that speech at the Republican National Convention, and it scared the bejesus out of me. Uh, I have met Pat Buchanan a bunch of times since then from being on TV, because he works at MSNBC, and I used to. Uh, but it has never been on my turf before when I've ever had the chance to talk to him. And even though he's always been very nice to me, I never really felt like I could corner him and really ask him what I wanted to ask him. I wanted to ask him to answer for that speech and tell him what kind of effect it had on me. Well, uh, finally, he came into the studio uh, on Tuesday of this week for an interview with me in my studio on my turf, and I finally got to ask him. Here was my question um, on Tuesday of this week to Pat Buchanan. In 1992, I was 19. Right. Um, and um, You were old enough to vote for me. Sure, I could have. I could have, actually. But, could have. but I didn't. Um, and in, didn't, right. in, uh, in, in, in 1992, I was 19. I had realized that I was gay probably two years earlier. It had caused problems with my family at the time. I was, I was living in Philadelphia. I was working a million jobs. And the day that you gave the keynote address uh, in Houston at the Republican mm-hmm. National Convention, I remember not knowing that you were going to be speaking and walking past the TV and seeing you speaking, and I was frozen in my tracks and stood there and watched the rest Is of the that speech. Good? It was compelling. Um, but it was good. I mean, at that point, my... No one since then has been allowed to write his own speech and deliver it at a convention. <laughs> well, it may, I mean, people still... I mean, here we are, you know, 14 well, years later, say, and people there, are still asking about it. There's a culture war yeah. going on in this country for the soul of America. Yeah. Is that not true? Well, you said there's a culture war in America. You, I, I mean, you, you, you mentioned gay and lesbian people a lot. You talked about... No, no, a couple of twice. Probably. One was, one was... But the Democratic Convention was the greatest example of cross-dressing in American political history, right? which was a funny line. And the other, you mentioned, no, twice more I think I mentioned, as groups that, uh, this is Bill and Hillary, are on the other side of the cultural war. They support abortion on demand, gay rights, all these other things. What is wrong with that since I was speaking the truth? Well, you said you stood with, with George W. George George w. Bush against the amoral idea that lesbian and gay couples should have the same standing in law as married men and women. Um, and yep, that's what I believe. You, yeah, I understand. I'm not taking issue with what you believe. You, you cited a militant leader of the homosexual rights movement is calling the Clintons pro-lesbian and pro-gay. And what I, as, as a 19-year-old gay kid at that point, I, my experience was knowing that I had no right to get married, no right to have have kids. My employer could fire me for being gay. My landlord could kick me out of my housing for Who being gay. Who took away your right to get married? I never had the right to get married, but I'm not. I was facing a I'm facing a future in the United States where I was never going to have that right because of, because I'm gay. I could I could I you could I, I mean I could you live a lie. Right. right. I'm well, the founding fathers. I'm looking at the founding fathers for that. And you you gave this speech that spare, scared the bejesus out of me because I felt like what you were doing is that you were trying to rile the Republican convention into really declaring war on me, saying there's a culture war in this country. We need to rise up against this minority. That that is a threat to us. And I was a member of that minority and really felt like I was not welcome in my own country. No, you. the point is, in the coalition we're trying to put together, those were the things we believe in. Did you know George Bush, the night of that speech, rose more in the national polls, 10 points net, Clinton lost him game, than he did any night of the year. That was what we call the night of the right when Reagan and I spoke. And gay Americans probably drank more that night than at any other year in the last century. Listen, I was in 1984, Mario Cuomo. I was in San Francisco. Cuomo said, you know, that, you know, basically accusing Reagan of, you know, letting all these nuns be murdered in El Salvador. Look, that is good rhetoric. I stand beside every word. We disagree with the gay agenda. I've never been, I've never been, uh, you know, 
dubious but, about that. By trying to inspire Republicans to, to literally, by using the phrase culture what did I war. Tell them to do? We're at war for the soul of America. Who are you at war with? Me? Let, me, let me just say. Are you at war with gay people? The gay agenda? I certainly am. Let me say this. The phrase culture war, they say, oh, gosh, this is horrible. It's been used in a hundred book titles since then. Yeah, because people are really scared of what you raise the prospect well, of. Well, the other side says, <laughs> we're on this side of the culture war, and we're on that one. There is a culture war. Is it? You know, is there something wrong with telling the truth? I mean, this is why people object to things. No, It's I when the, they hear the truth. I mean, if you do the politically correct thing and the patter goes out, every, that's what everybody likes. But somebody said, went down to a convention and said, spoke the truth, said something different. No, that's not the issue. It wasn't, it is the I issue. wasn't afraid there because I felt like, wow, Pat's speaking the truth. I felt like, you know what I felt like? I felt like, this is a man I disagree with. And My problem no, wait, wait, was not wait. to reassure were, Rachel Maddow no, in that speech. The, what you did in that speech was you said, I want normal Americans to declare war on this minority. No, and no, no, I no. don't think that there should I be war between Americans. I went on, I was saying, is there's a war being waged against you folks. You better start by fighting me. back. By the, by the minority. You by trying the to, well, minority, you all want to be a majority, and that's what we're trying to be. I don't want to be you a majority. Want to, I don't want you to be gay. You want to impose your agenda on society, and we prefer our agenda. That's a disagreement. That's not that's, a war. Oh, and listen. When you're a member of the minority, when you it, feel like the majority is declaring war on you? That's really scary. What do you think? I mean, that's phrase, you know where it comes from? Bismarck's culture comp. It's a culture war. He was waging yeah, a culture war against... <laughs> he was waging... That was, look, he's 18, 1870 to 1890. He's so far. <laughs> I didn't raise the... <laughs> Listen, i got to get going here, kid. Pat Buchanan, it's, a very, it's always a pleasure to talk you to you. Take it easy. It's a pleasure. But I appreciate it. Yeah, let's finish the Pope up and take some calls. Exactly. And uh, and I was telling you, uh, last night I met Salman Rushdie here in L.A., and uh, he was also talking about this topic, and he had a, another funny little line about it. He said, Muslims, maybe the all Muslims, really need to take an anger management class. Mm-hmm. And and it's true. I mean, they, the Adam Sandler movie should have had them in, involved in it. They're ready to flip out over anything. Now, that being said... The uh, Adam Sandler movie, Anger Management, should have had more Muslims. No, it should have been about Muslims. Okay, all right. Uh, she, uh, Rushdie, hip with the time. You would be a terrorist. Are you, are you, what a bad you're producer. You're on a first name basis with him now? Oh, yeah, please. But I, just oh, like the, I just like the yeah. idea of jacket pitch meetings nice. in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need, what's our Muslim angle? <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Yeah. That'll fly. All right, so what, Rushdie. So, no, no, no. So that's Rushdie. Uh, back to the Pope for a second. Uh, Pope apologized today, and it's a classic uh, apology that Ben hates. Oh, please. I am deeply sorry for the reactions in some countries to a few passages of my address which were considered offensive. Yeah. In other words, I'm not sorry, but if you people reacted in a way and you considered it offensive, I guess I'm sorry that you feel that way. Pope apologizes. Here's the headline in the New York Times. Pope apologizes for uproar over his remarks. Mm-hmm. <gasps> You're apologizing for the uproar. 
No, apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I was quoting somebody, and it was careless of me. I don't believe those things, and they were wrong. Sorry. That's an apology. I'm sorry if you people are too uh, crazy and hot-blooded uh, to contain your violent tempers. I guess I'm sorry that you're a bunch of clowns. Or just say that. Or just say, don't apologize and say, right. hey, listen, you know, there's been violence in all the religions. And uh, oh, yeah, he's going to say that. <laughs> and by the way, you know what the speech was mainly about? Yeah. And what the Pope also said? The, the, the speech was mainly about how in the let, West. Let me, let me no, no, hold on. All right. I want to read the actual line because it's a, just a great out of the New York Times. All right. Go ahead. Or here, you can read it right no, here. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. The speech was. I, that's all right. I'm over it. <laughs> the spe- I'm sorry if I offended you by stealing your thunder. <laughs> the speech was largely a scholarly address criticizing the West for submitting itself too much to reason <gasps> for walling belief in God out of science and philosophy. That sums up. My issue with religion in a nutshell. I don't know how anybody can argue in favor of religion when, when, when the Pope, I mean, the head of the Catholic Church comes out and says, they're delving into too much reason. They're <laughs> depending too much on science and reason. We need to believe in fairy tales and magic. <laughs> can I tell you something? I'm far more, and I'm, you know, ethnically Muslim. I'm far more offended by his general speech attacking reason in the West than I am about his one line about Islam oh, totally. using violence. Yeah. But Islam does use violence, and so did Catholics, and so did every religion in the world. And they use violence. But what we really need a lot more is reason. Well, look, we got a pope arguing that we're using too much reason in the West. Okay. And he wonders why there's violence in the world. All Orthodox religions, we know this, it's just, it couldn't, all, certainly all fundamentalists, all Orthodox religions, it is. There is an assault on reason, which is oddly enough the title of Al Gore's book due out in May, The Assault on Reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. God bless, ironically. Uh, Okay, so, Pope, last thing on this. I thought the popes were infallible. Yeah, I know. That's why, you know, the the main part of this is the shock that everybody has that he's actually apologized. This is really, really abnormal, says Alberto Maloney, professor of history at the University of Modena. That was my safety school. I'm sure I just mispronounced that horribly. It was written several books on the Vatican. It's never happened as far as I know because they don't apologize because they're infallible. I just I'm sorry. Great. They're infallible. They're they're idiots, too. Um, I just want to jump back to this whole reason thing. And I almost wanted to bring this up when we had Congressman Ryan on the show and we're talking about these abstinence programs. And, you know, I forget who um, was the gentleman that told him that, you know, if we talk more about sex, there's going to be more abortions. I mean, you can't argue with these people. Representative of Chris Smith. Okay, Representative Chris Smith. I mean, people that, you know, have, have, you know, these particular, they base their opinions in, in, you know, religious values. You can't have a conversation with them because they don't deal with reason. They're unreasonable people. Well, they should not be in charge of anything. Well, you just said it, Jill. The thing, you know, the thing about people who don't like reason is that they are unreasonable. <laughs> By definition. Yeah. I mean, so we bang our heads against the wall trying to like converse with these people, but I mean, it's worthless. It's pointless. I mean, the head of the Catholic Church comes out and says, the Western world deals too much with reason. Everyone yeah. should have been in religion at this point. Uh, okay, listen. You know, a lot of people, if conservatives listening in, it's the first time we're doing a morning show on Air America. They might be like, oh, look at these liberals. They're attacking religion. Uh, yeah. That's right. Okay, that's what we're doing. Let me tell you something. The or, Pope. Oh, no, hold on. The Pope, and this is a breaking news for conservatives. I know some conservatives. The Pope is not infla- infallible. He's a human being. He makes mistakes all the time. God doesn't speak to him. God also doesn't speak to George Bush. God doesn't speak to anybody. Okay. 
He doesn't know. And Except Joe Smith. God totally spoke to Joe Smith. That's, with the that's, obvious exception of Joe Smith. Because that's clear. That's documented. <laughs> I mean, that was in the tablets. It was in the hat. I mean, if you put the magic glasses on, you could clearly see that. Right. So that's fact. <laughs> right. Okay, so Pope is wrong. The Muslims are wrong. They're all wrong. Right. Except the Jews. political group of elite fundamentalist Christians, well, you're not alone. They've managed to stay under the radar at Washington for quite a while, even though prominent arch conservatives like Kansas Senator Sam Brownback are right at the heart of this organization. Joining us now is journalist Jeff Charlotte, who lived with fellowship members for weeks and reported on his findings in Harper's Magazine. Jeff, the fellowship, tell us what it is. Fellowship sort of a loose network, although quite organized, of mostly men in politics, big business, and military that get together and meet in what they call prayer cells to consult Jesus for directions on how to run government. And their ultimate vision is a government of 200 God-led men around the world. It's an international project and been going on for years and uh, really far-reaching it's not a conspiracy because they work within the law. They don't break the law, but it is theocratic because their ambition is ultimately not a democracy, but this very peculiar kind of Christ at the top of their government. You know, before you really started doing just great work, having people understand really what's going on with this thing called the fellowship, at best you would see the media report this as being it was a group that was made up of uh, Republican politicos and they'd organize an annual national prayer breakfast at the White House for the president. Nobody was really connecting the dots. Tell, tell us some of the stories. I mean, you actually went to the heart of the fellowship and really learned what they were about, didn't you? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I stumbled upon it. I was not doing any investigative reporting at the time. I write about religion. Someone invited me to come down and visit, not really putting two and two together about why you might not invite a reporter. And so I lived in a fellowship house for sort of young men who were being mentored by congressmen or ambassadors and that sort of thing for about a month. And then after that, I went to uh, – they had – dumped hundreds of boxes of papers going back to uh, the 1930s in an archive, and an evangelical archive, and no one had ever bothered to look at this. And once you start scratching, <laughs> you see that they were involved in sort of every major incident of the Cold War, a lot of things that are forgotten, like United States support for the dictatorial regime of General Suharto in Indonesia, which managed to kill half a million of his mm -hmm. own citizens. Yeah. You look at any kind of nasty situation around the world, and they were right there. Now, they've always had a lot of arms <laughs> arms dealers involved. And I, it's not a cynical plot, but I think these guys actually believe what they're doing. But, you know, the president of Raytheon is one of the few figures who sort of was outed as part of the group in the 70s. And uh, he recruited a guy named Chuck Colson, who 
the Nixon dirty trickster mm-hmm. and is now one of the big powerful figures of the Christian right. Yeah, ba- basically in 2006, virtually every Republican candidate who who wants support for you know from the money evangelicals like Pat Robertson, James Dobson, uh, the, the real questionable types, Sam Brownback. I think of Sam Brownback and Charles Colson as you point out. Yeah. This is kind of the clearinghouse for those candidates, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what the fellowship really is, is elite fundamentalism. And we're all familiar with that kind of fundamentalism with a guy on TV pounding his Bible and, mm-hmm. you know, Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell. This is a whole other strand of elite fundamentalism. They see that as a little bit tacky. So they, they are working on very parallel tracks, but they're not always overlapping. So you'll see some guys, you know, you'll see guys like Tom DeLay. The fellowship was not his base. Um, for Sam Brownback, Senator Sam Brownback, it was the base. For yeah. guys like Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. really one of the most right-wing guys in the Senate, that's his base. Strom Thurmond, you know, <laughs> God bless him now, wherever he is, uh, <laughs> this was his base. We can guess where he is, huh? Yeah. You know, as I was looking at this... Um, it's it's almost as if to try to understand what the fellowship is today. The, the fellowship is anything that Sam Brownback wants it to be. It's, if it's intolerance, it's intolerance of anything that Sam Brownback decides should not be tolerated. Sam Brownback's probably one of the the way they talk about it is that there's always a core. They really read the Bible differently than, than other mm-hmm. people. They mm-hmm. say what Jesus did was he told a certain number of secrets to this inner circle and then a certain set of secrets for the, everyone else, and then that's why he had parables because the rest of us, we couldn't handle the truth and we didn't deserve it. So they take that same approach to politics. And Sam Brownback is indeed one of those guys at the inner core, along with former Attorney General Ed Meese, still very powerful in Washington politics, a real deal broker. So guys like that are the inner core. And yeah, it is in a sense. It's anything they want it to be, because what they do, I mean, they read the Bible in a strange way, but then they say, well, that's the Bible. They'll get together, Sam Brownback and Ed Meese, and they'll hold hands and they'll pray together. And whatever Jesus tells them, well, that, that's sort of new revelation. So it becomes this very amorphous kind of thing that, yeah, more often than not, serves the ambitions of those who are involved. So listen, we got this well, last fun story for you here, uh, and I've been dying to get to it all show long. So l- let's have at it. Of course, the last fun story is about how the Muslims are enraged over the Pope's uh, comments about Islam from a couple of days ago and have not accepted his apology. You know, look, the Pope gives a, a one-time apology, unprecedented, but they're like. Mm. Not good enough. No, it we need you to grovel apology, a little more. Though. It wasn't an apology. It wasn't a great apology, but the mere fact that it was any kind of apology and it came from the Pope, undeniably historic. It's never happened because the Pope, of course, infallible. Yeah, it, look, let it go. Let it go. The dude tried to apologize. That's the best you're going to get from an infallible Pope. Yeah, a, okay. a German infallible. German's not big on apologizing either. I mean, look at this dude. God, get a load of... I mean, they play dress-up. And On the youngturks.com, we're showing a picture of uh, Pope Benedict in his... I mean, what can only be described as it... I don't know if we're going to get in trouble for this, but it, that, that outfit is gay. <laughs> 
I mean, but it's <laughs> obvious, though. But it's obvious. I mean, look at it with the funny hat and the robes. Yes. I mean, you look pretty, dude. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but I'm not, I don't want to concentrate on the poker. Very bedazzled. <laughs> I want to concentrate on the Muslims because they had some great quotes and some great banners. They put together a little rally in the Damascus of people who are Khamenei loyalists. Those are uh, guys, actually, uh, Khamenei is the Iranian leader, supreme leader. They had one banner that just killed me. Yeah. The banner said, the Pope's sorrow was equivocal. Oh, that is good. That is good. <laughs> Boy, that's a stinger. <laughs> hey, that'll, hey. Leave, that'll leave a mark. Hey, hey. That rolls right off your tongue. Hey, Come hey. on, Janet, Ben. Hey, hey. Ho, ho. The Pope's sorrow was equivocal. Hey, hey. Ho, ho. The Pope's sorrow was equivocal. Actually, it works quite nice into yeah. a little rhyme. Yeah. Who puts equivocal in a banner? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. And then here's my second favorite quote. Uh, quote, his comments really hurt Muslims all over the world. Umar Nawawi of the Radical Islamic Defenders Front. Yeah. The Radical Islamic Defenders Front. His comments really hurt Muslims all over the world. Yeah. Oh, are you hurt? Are the radical Muslims hurt? Is so that what happened? Let's put up the picture, not of the Pope, but of the signs real quick that we have on the youngturks.com, the picture that you had up there before that, uh, Jesus. Uh, because the Muslims, of course, are upset because the Pope suggested that the Muslims, uh, that it's a, a religion of violence. Yes. Right? And their signs say, exterminate those who slander Islam, massacre those who insult Islam. <laughs> That's a tender message. Stop saying that we're violent or we'll massacre and exterminate you. <laughs> These are the original kings of irony. That is ironic, yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Uh, you got us to actually defend the Pope. That's hard to get on this program. <laughs> Good work. Yeah, nicely done. Well played. <laughs> a little equivocal, though. Right now, we're back with Jeff Charlotte, a contributing editor to Harper's Magazine, who covers religion. We're talking about his investigation into an organization called The Fellowship. It's a secretive group of elite fundamentalist politicians like Kansas Senator Sam Brownback. Jeff actually spent several weeks living with members of the group in one of their houses in Washington, D.C. Jeff, the fellowship has actually supported some of the world's most brutal dictators. You mentioned Suharto in Indonesia. They even had Siad Barre as a member, that dictator from Somalia, brutal, fanatical, genocidal nut from Somalia. Uh, how does that square with these politicians who say they care about decency in politics? Yeah, it's even weirder than that to say that they care about Christianity when he was a Muslim and a Marxist. He said he had invented something new called Quranic Marxism. I mean, yeah. mainly he was yeah. a thug. Mm -hmm. He was none of these things, really. But what they did, you know, the elite fundamentalists, they did something very much like popular fundamentalists, which is back in the 70s, the, the populist fundamentalists said, hey, you know, no one's paying attention to PTAs to local town councils. We'll build a political base there because no one cares about those places. Elite fundamentalists have done the same thing internationally, saying no one in the 80s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, now, no one is paying attention to Somalia, to Uganda, 
to all these little countries around the world. We can go there, and you got to remember, you might just be a single congressman or a single senator, but you go to some of these small countries, you're a big deal. You're the representative of the most powerful country on earth. So what they do is when they send congressmen on tours, usually the countries that are not noticed and where they can really wield a lot of influence, and Somalia is one where they just left an incredible paper trail. This guy who, he needed a patron. The Soviet Union had been supporting him, and they weren't anymore, and so he was going to switch over to America. And he said, okay, I'll meet with Senator Chuck Grassley, still in office today from Iowa, and a guy named Bill Brem was a defense contractor and a West German Bundestag member. I'll meet with them, and I'll pray to Jesus, but here's what I want. I want a meeting for my foreign minister with Ronald Reagan, and I want help fighting this sort of insurrection um, otherwise known as people who didn't want to live under a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And the uh, United States did indeed double the military aid to Siad Bar. And the real tragedy of that one is that Somalia is a good case study because we all know what happened. The country just devolved into utter anarchy because we were really backing the wrong guy. And, you know, eventually 18 Marines were killed in the Black Hawk Down incident. And, you know, literally millions of Somalians have suffered for a decade since then. Under well, it, it sounds like, government. yeah, it sounds like the idea of fellowship backing is, you know, not through God's word or not through compassionate teachings of Jesus, but really smart missiles, M16 rifles, and uh, really military might is what it sounds like to me. You know, it often boils down to that, and I just think that we progressives have to understand the complicated thing is that it's not a plot. These guys, I've spent time with them, and I've prayed with them. They actually believe what they're doing. Every now and then you encounter someone who's a cynic and who's using it to get ahead, but most of them actually believe what they're doing. So they think that this is going to help those countries. You know, another horrible example was Ed Meese helped broker not so long ago a peace deal between Rwanda and Congo, right. um, which is a terrible situation. I mean, again, they're paying attention to places no one else pays attention to. Congo's the worst war on the planet. And a peace deal sounds like a good idea, but you go in and you broker a peace deal on very stupid terms, you are setting things up for a disaster, which is exactly what happened. And you're also setting things up for, yeah, the arms deals and these things because they believe in something called biblical capitalism. Tell me about that. Explain what that is. Well, the, the idea is that some ways the, the, the real strict Calvinists, if, if people out there are remembering uh, John Calvin, this idea that God chooses who he wants to work with, and then once he chooses you, it doesn't really matter what you do. You're saved. What you do is good. Well, they have that same idea about sort of the whole market. So they're absolute free marketeers in the sense that they believe that God is this very interventionist God. So if he makes a corporation like Lockheed or Raytheon wealthy, he's doing that for a purpose. And, uh, but but what can... is the purpose? And in their mind, and you say they pray about this in their in their prayers. How do they find? How do they possibly see the connection between something like Raytheon and, and Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount? I mean, what's the connection? You know, they don't talk too much about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I mean, like most fundamentalists, is a fairly selective reading here. But even when they do make connections, they're astonishing. So, for instance, you take someone like Senator Sam Brownback, and I will give Sam Brownback a ton of credit for one thing, which is paying attention to genocide and Darfur. He's one of the few guys who does that, and we have to give him credit for that. But then, you know, and Sam Brownback said this to me. He turned around and he said, you know, there's no difference, he said, between, you know, one of these militias killing kids in the Sudan 
and say if two men here decide to have sexual relations, that is the same disobedience of God, he would say. Mm. So that's what it comes down to them. They're not interested, really, ultimately in compassion in the Sermon on the Mount. The first and last rule for them is obedience of God. And if you're obeying God, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Maybe you're selling missiles. Maybe you're feeding the poor. That's all part of this project. And, you know, more often than not, you're also getting wealthy. And they just say, well, that's just more sign that God has blessed you. Well, you know, the story broke where they found six U.S. congressmen. They're were, they were paying a uh, bargain rate of uh, 600 a month or so to live together in this swanky D.C. townhouse. And it was owned secretively by this fundamentalist group known as the Fellowship. Where are they now? Where do they meet? What do they do? Jeff, somebody listening to this story says this is just so bizarre. And until I read what great material you put together on this, it's almost like you shake your head and say, my God, this sounds like a weird novel. Yeah, it does. Um, but if you need to confirm it, you can still find them at that swanky townhouse. It's 133 C Street in Washington, D.C. There's also in Arlington a gorgeous mansion called the Cedars, at which they posted any number of world leaders. They have a bunch of houses in Annapolis. There is a house in London called the Tor. I mean, they, what they do is that they sort of get donated to them beautiful real estate. It's not an organization that has a huge budget like folks on the family. They deliberately avoid that. And in mm-hmm. fact, they incorporate it as a nonprofit, exist for a little years, and then just break that up and then reincorporate it something else. So there's not much of a tax record unless you start putting it all together and I, I, I did incredible notice real estate holding. Yeah, I did notice though that you you did tie up the fact that there is some corporate interest in backing this organization. Oh yeah, well I mean I mentioned Raytheon before right. the mansion, the Cedars, which is in Arlington. Uh, I think it was bought for about 1.2 million, if I recall, in the late 70s. Worth a lot more now. I believe Tom Phillips, who's then the president CEO of Raytheon, gave $100,000 toward that. Ken Olson of Digital Corporation gave some money toward that. Standard Oil, back when they existed, if you go back further, you start seeing these connections. Standard Oil used to provide offices for this group around the world. You know, I think we on the left are saying, what do the fundamentalists want? What are they Mm -hmm. trying to do? Mm -hmm. And I think the real answer is to look around, to look at some very serious problems in the world and say, This is what they wanted. This is what they built. They're responsible for a lot of the way things are. So Certainly in the last uh, six years we can say that, can't we? We can, although, you know, it goes back further than that. And I should say it's not just Republicans. There's always been some Democrats involved. Mm -hmm. Um, The Democratic Party is not pure. Mm -hmm. No, Um, I I know. I agree with that. The, the Republicans are losing uh, voters like crazy, especially uh, Southern women voters. The Associated Press had a large story about it recently. But in the end, they talked to uh, someone who's a Republican to this day, uh, Clydeen 
Oh, Clyde, is, are you talking about Clyde and Tamania? Oh, Tamania. Yes, yeah. exactly right, Michael. You took the words right out of my mouth. Clyde and Tamania says that she's remained committed to the party she's called home for 43 years, the Republican Party. And here is the great quote about it that tells you all you need to know about the remaining Republicans. Quote, there are some people, and I'm one of them, that believe George Bush was placed where he is by the Lord. I don't care how he governs. I will support him. I'm a Republican through and through. So Bill Clinton was not placed there by the Lord. No. Right. No. So It's just George Bush. And But, you see, first, there's three parts to this, okay? First is, I don't. Uh, uh, he's placed there by the Lord. And that explains, uh, I would say, at least 25% of the remaining re- Republicans. 25% right. of the country that remains Republican. I don't, you know, he's placed by the Who am I to question the Lord? Of course. Right? I mean, I do I know better you know, than this, God? This no. actually changes my whole opinion on him and everything that's going on. Oh, now that you know he's placed there by the Lord? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not his fault for all the things he's done there. He didn't want to be there. The Lord just put him there. Oh, it's the Lord's plan. Yeah. But the second part is actually the part that I found the most interesting. I don't care how he governs. I will support him. Hmm. See, if you think that it's a matter of the God telling you that I put George Bush in that office, then I suppose you don't care how he governs. See, that's why it doesn't matter. George Bush could screw up Iraq. He could screw up Iran. He could start World War III. He could screw up New Orleans. He could lose Seattle. He could lose Portland. It doesn't matter because Clydeen doesn't care how he governs. She will support him no matter what. And then the third part. And those are some of the people that you actually, uh, you know, th- those are the people that you're up against constantly. They're they're the people that are going to make up that, you know, th- and they're probably some of the 43% you're talking about yesterday who think that Iraq was tied to, to, to 9-11. Of course! Because, again, if you talk to Clyde Dean, going to say, no, 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 look, the Lord has put all this in place mm-hmm. and put George Bush there. The Lord wouldn't have us invade Iraq if Iraq hadn't done 9-11. It's not like God's going to make that kind of mistake. Yep. So when you give her the facts, she says to you, I don't care about the facts. Does she, does she then believe that the Lord somehow had a hand in 9-11? Because, I mean, that's one of the things that had to happen for George Bush to set out on this mission. You see, when you get into the minds of... Uh, crazy religious people. It's a dark, dark place to be. I, I don't know how they tunnel out. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how they justify things, you know, because it's always the Lord's plan. So It must have been the Lord's plan for the poor Iraqis to be put under Saddam Hussein's rule, you know, and, 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 and you know, to, to be stifled for all those years so George Bush could have come in and saved them. Yeah. It's also apparently the Lord's plan uh, for the North Koreans to suffer under Kim Jong-il. Absolutely. And for the, Kazakh, uh, for the Kazakhs, too, if that's the right word, Kazakhis, uh to suffer under Sul- Sultan Nazarbayev, mm-hmm. Sultanov, I believe, Nazarbayev, uh, and for us to support that government, even though it's a dictatorship where they murder the opposition uh, leaders, because it's the Lord's plan. Yep. He put the oil there. Yep. What were we supposed to do? Of course we support him. So I, I don't know how crazy religious people think. I, I guess they think all good things come because of the Lord, and all bad things are part of his plan, so don't worry about it. And that gives you George W. Bush. And she says there at the end, I'm a Republican through and through. Meaning, this this is what Republicans do. We don't think. We don't care how people govern. All we care about is not what the Lord actually decided. Because, of course, what did, the, did God talk to Clyde Dean? Of course God didn't talk. What my preacher told me 
the Lord decided. So if a guy comes up uh, on Sunday and he's and, and whether he's been paid off by the Republicans or not, whether there was a strategic decision made to tell you only about the parts of the Bible that appeal to the Republican Party and bury the parts that appeal to the Democratic Party, all that she doesn't care. If that man standing there in church says support George Bush because God told you, she doesn't turn the switch off in her mind. It's done. Go home. Your work is done here. You don't have to worry about it. any other thing. You don't have to question him. You don't have to question the president. You don't have to question any of his decisions. You don't have to question how he governs. Just support him through and through. Thanks for listening, everybody. So I, uh, I, I, need, I just need to mention real quick um, that some things are happening that may very well require a lot of my attention. And so it's it's very possible that there will only be uh, three shows this week, this being the uh, the second of three. Um, there may be more, but that's uh, I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, if uh, if all of a sudden it looks like I've dropped off the face of the earth again, I have not. It's uh, it, it's. It's just possible that it's an, an an inevitability. So I just want to let you know, it's no big deal. It's, you know, just a heads up. That's all. But, of course, what I'm really here to do is ask you another question. I, I, I need some, I don't know, maybe advice, um, but definitely your opinion. And so it all started last week. Um when I, you know, I was posting shows, but I was on vacation, and I started uh, receiving emails. Um, I was in Nashville, started receiving these emails that said, essentially, you are um, supporting, uh, what is it? Um, Pedophilia. That's right. And but not like in an, an accusatory manner, but in kind of like a, hey, I thought you might like to know. Maybe you didn't realize that you're supporting pedophilia. And so the basic premise of of these emails, and I I've received several now, is that uh, apparently there is a podcast named the Pedologues, or maybe just Pedologues, without the the in front and um it's being hosted at libsyn.com that's uh, l-i-b-s-y-n.com that's the hosting service that i use for my show so no matter how you're listening to this show you got that file from libsyn you know even if you didn't download it and you're just streaming it's coming from libsyn that's how it works so I pay Libsyn each month to host my files, and so do I, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of other podcasters. And so, uh, you know, some some email list, some group of you know concerned citizens uh, who like to get into other people's business got this message about this show, Pedologues, and you know about pedophilia and you know who's involved and i mean like they're kind of I, I i'm sure they're involved in more things than just this and so from what i've gathered is that 
this group of people has tried to shut down this individual, um, you know, for, uh, maybe he's got a blog, maybe he does other things, maybe they're, they try to take on other big websites or whatever, but their, their most recent target is this guy's podcast. And so they just send out, they sent out an email to all of the podcasters who use Libsyn to ask them, them being me, to use my position as a paying customer at Libsyn to pressure Libsyn into uh, banning that show from their servers in an attempt to shut down his show. And, you know, so they use lots of things like help protect our children and, you know, aren't they the most important thing and don't we need to be concerned about them the most? And... Yeah, I mean, it sounds great, and I can definitely see both sides, obviously. Well, I mean, maybe you can't even see the other side yet, because I haven't finished the story. But in this email, there's this one really key sentence that I'm going to paraphrase, because I don't remember it verbatim, where they say, you know, they accuse Libsyn of being fully aware that this show exists, and they, they, they don't quite say it, but they come right to the brink of saying that Libsyn is supporting this show. Where, you know, that like they know what it's about and they love it. And they they they're glad it's there and they don't care about anyone. You know, they don't care what children get raped. They just are interested in making that ten dollars a month from this show that they pay. I don't know, I mean maybe they pay fifty bucks a month because some shows pay more than others, but you know, whatever pocket change per month. And, you know, so Libsyn, they're just in it for, for a couple of bucks and they're, they're willing to sacrifice your business to do it because they want me, of course, to switch to a new server, to boycott Libsyn, et cetera, et cetera. And so, but they come to this key phrase where they say, and Libsyn is hiding behind what they call, quote-unquote, freedom of speech. And I'm done. I'm done. Like, you put freedom of speech in quotes, and you're not talking about free speech zones, you're done. Like, you don't put freedom of speech in quotes in this country. And... So, obviously, they didn't know who they were talking to. They didn't know what kind of show I hosted. They don't care. They're, they just, you know, mass email. That's what they were going for. So, I'm sure that it worked on a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of people were concerned. I'm sure a lot of people emailed Libsyn saying, like, what's up with this? And and I'm just like, wait a second. Libsyn is defending the pedophile show based on freedom of speech? Well, it's done then, because to me, that means that Libsyn, I mean, they've got access to all the shows, they can go back and listen, and if they're defending it on freedom of speech, then my theory is that they've probably listened to the shows, and if there was anything illegal going on, on the show, then they'd get reported, and that would be that, you know, like... If there's something illegal happening, then they're done. If there's not something illegal happening and they're defending it based on freedom of speech, 
then that's totally different. That means they are standing on, on a principle rather than on we want their money and we don't care what anybody says about anything. So that was kind of, that's my first reaction to that. And so I, I went, so that, you know, I started receiving these emails in Tennessee. I right at the last minute had ch- had a change of plans, decided to go to the podcast expo after all, because when I flew home from Nashville to Sacramento, I was going to go through LA anyways. And that gave me the idea, well, like, why don't I just go home a, a day or two early, fly through LA, go to the podcast expo, have fun for two nights, and, uh, and then drive home. So there's more to the story. I had a friend in Sacramento. She was going to come down to LA anyways. So I was going to fly. I met her there. I mean, it was fine. It worked out. It's not interesting. But if you were wondering how I was going to fly to LA and drive to Sacramento, that's how it happened. So we went to the podcast expo and I actually saw the Libsyn guys there. And so I went up to them. I said, Hey guys, let me ask you, what's your official statement on this whole Pedalogs podcast? And they're like, oh, geez, you know, well, the, first of all, the unofficial statement is it's a goddamn pain in the ass. I, I hate that they're emailing all of our customers. That really sucks. But our official statement is our, our lawyers are looking into it. We definitely care about what's going on. We, uh, you know, if there's anything illegal happening... I mean, if you know about it, if we know about it, if anybody knows about it, contact the feds, man. We don't want them on here. I mean, look at us. We're normal guys. We got daughters and nieces and nephews and, you know, little brothers and all that stuff. You know, like, we, we're we not in favor of pedophilia. Like, come on. This is crazy. So, you know, all these accusations that we're, like, supporting the show because we like the show. I mean, it's preposterous, so... You know, of course, that's what I assumed, and these guys were great, they were nice, and I talked to them for a while, and, you know, so, so that, that's, that's where I'm coming from, like, I'm a young guy, I don't have any kids, uh, I don't have any young, well, I don't know who's listening to this, and I don't need anyone calling me on it, I've, I've got some young people I'm acquainted with, but, you know, so, like, I'm just saying, I don't have direct, like, supervision over any children. Like, it's not my, it's not part of my routine to worry about children. That's what it comes down to. So that's just the side I'm coming from. And I'm coming from the left side. I'm coming from the pro-freedom of speech side. I'm coming from the no censorship on anyone side. I'm coming from the I run a podcast and I don't want anyone censoring me side. So that's me. But... I mean, we're talking about raping children here, and that's a serious, serious thing. And so for people to be reacting to a show like that is 100% legitimate, I mean, essentially. And uh, so, I mean, there's a, that creates a fuzzy line just because of the content of the, you know, the topic. And so even if he's not saying all of my listeners need to go out and have sex with children and this is the best way to uh, you know lure them into your unmarked van from their playground you know it's uh, it, whatever 
whatever the show really contains, it's some sort of advocacy in some way, possibly, or whatever it is. And so, so I'd like your advice, um, just in case there, like I said, there's some, uh, some things that may be taking my attention away from the show for a little while. It has to do with the forum. So, although I love having conversations on, on the forum, if you, if you go to the forum, it may not be there for one reason or another. So, so if that happens, don't worry about it. That's on purpose. But just send me the email, hippiesympathizer at gmail.com. I'd like to hear what you guys have to say about this. It's a serious topic, and I just want to hear reasonable arguments from the other side that don't start with uh, so-called, quote-unquote, freedom of speech. Like some pro-freedom of speech anti-child raping arguments to say why this guy should be censored. That's what I want to hear if it's out there. And you know, I'm open to it and I just haven't I just haven't thought of it. So, you know, if there's an answer and I just can't think of it, then I just want to learn. That's all it is. Uh, all there is to it. Uh Other than that, I had fun at the podcast expo. Just in case uh, you're interested, I, I know our shows don't have a whole lot of a uh, crossover necessarily, but I got to meet Don and Drew, and um, if you're a fan of their show, maybe you heard them talking about recently when they were going to the podcast expo that, uh, you know, they printed up like 15 specialty shirts just to give out to, you know, the first 15 people they saw at, at the at the expo and, you know, no more ever going to be made. Well, my friend and I got two of them, so, and we went to their party and ate Dippin' Dots, so, uh, you know, everything you've ever heard that they're actually nice in, in, uh, in person, it's all true, so, uh, eat your hearts out, everybody, um, so, yeah, let's hear those emails about, uh, pedophilia, and, um, I, I don't think Don and Drew support pedophilia either. And, uh, and you can go to bestoftheleftpodcast.com for all the other information you need uh, for whatever you like. Um, and please, I'm trying to remember to focus on uh, Podcast Alley this month. I, I very much appreciate uh, votes going to Podcast Alley. That's very important for getting this show back up and running and getting some people out there to recognize that it is uh, alive and kicking. So... Uh, thank you to everyone uh, voting for that. Uh, everyone counts, and and uh, you know all month long. Let's push that. So until tomorrow, or uh, you know sometime this week. And I, I do apologize for for not having a, a full slate of shows lined up for this week. But I'm doing what I can, and uh, maybe we'll be talking about uh, pedophilia next time as well. Have a good one, everybody. Now black and white Cause you took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out